Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Come on, give him a shout of praise in this place one more time. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We glorify you. The name above all names, the King above all kings. There is no one like you, Lord. No one like you. Hey, I know you're like, man, these people are going kind of crazy in this place. But sometimes we got to press in to get the breakthrough that we need. We could have just stopped, but I felt like God wanted to break some things off some people in this place. And I sense and I believe that there were some chains broken right now through our praise. So sometimes we may walk in and not feel it. I don't always feel it every Sunday morning. You may have not been feeling it this morning, but when we press in and we praise despite our feelings, it's not about feelings, it's about being faithful. And sometimes faithfulness looks like just showing up even when you don't feel like it. So I want to challenge you that every Sunday you come in this place that you would praise even if you don't feel it because for, before you know it, you are feeling it. And before you know it, there is breakthrough happening. So can we give God one more shout of praise for all he did already in this place? You can be seated today. Thank you for being here. Man, I am uh, just thankful to pastor this church along with my wife, Chrissy. My name's Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to continue today in this series on the book of Mark. It's called Marked by Jesus, this series, uh, where we are walking through the book of Mark verse by verse. We call this expository preaching, meaning we're breaking down the verses, right? Each verse, walking through a book of the Bible. This is something we do at this church. We take little breaks in between. So we got another series coming up, uh, a little short mini series coming up in two weeks, but we'll be in Mark one more week next week. Um, but today I want to go from Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, go there with me. I'm going to read from verse 13 through 17. Short little section. Uh, we're in this three-year, over three-year journey through the book of Mark. And so I want to thank you guys for walking through this with us. But we have come to the last few days of Jesus' life. And so if you didn't know, here in Mark chapter 12, this section I'm about to read, it is Wednesday, and Jesus is being crucified on Friday. So he knows just how important the hour is. We're two days away from his crucifixion, uh, a few more days away from his resurrection, which we will celebrate on Easter here in just, my goodness, five weeks. Can you believe it? But this section is, is a short little story, but something that I think God wants to show us, uh, something powerful in our lives that we are to live out in this world. So let me read Mark chapter 12. I want to read verse, starting in verse number 13. I will read through verse 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful 
to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, today, I want to teach you a message that I've entitled, Bout That Life. Everybody say, Bout That Life. For those of you a little more seasoned like me, you notice the gray hairs and gray beard coming in. Uh, I just took the A out because this is what the kids say. But I'm saying about that life. just want to help today. But I want to talk to you about being about that life. And some of you are going, what life? I'm talking about the Jesus life. Because here's what I found, I think, in today's culture we're about a lot of things in fact we hashtag it we post it we say about that gym life we say ball is life I'm actually in a a text group thread with some of my friends and the title of the group text thread is golf is life and so we talk about how so many things of this world are our life, and we're about them, and we're, and we're into it. I mean, some of you post every day about, need my coffee. Don't talk to me until I have my caffeine. You wear t-shirts about it. We are about a lot of things, and yet it's rare that we hear people talk about they're about that God life, that Jesus life. I'm about living for him. How many of you know that people will talk? In fact, people love to talk. They love to talk about us. They love to have our name in their mouths. And there will always be critics. But even our critics will struggle when we are fully committed to something. You see, there's something inspirational, inspirational about a person who is fully committed to something, who's all in, who has no uh, diversion of attention, but is fully about what they say they're about. They follow through on the convictions that they declare. So what I wanted to tell you today is That people will talk, but the question is, what do you want them to say? You see, they, how many know there's a lot of they's, they will talk. Like some of you are now is like, why is he wearing white socks? Ah, You know, I'm just about that white sock life. (laughs) They will talk. The question is, what will they have to say about you? Because if we look at this text, the, the Herodians and the Pharisees get together. It actually says that they send the Herodians and the Pharisees. Now, who is they? They would have been the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin were the 70 political leaders of Israel. So the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin the 70 political leaders get together and they say, hey, we got to trap Jesus. 
So it says that they send the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now you have to recognize something about these two groups. These two groups actually hate each other. The Herodians and the Pharisees hate each other because the Pharisees are the religious leaders and they're about restoring Israel, the nation of Israel, to power, to its rights, establishment, and, and where God is the one true God. But Rome is the occupying political power. They're oppressing Israel, oppressing the people, and the Herodians were those who were faithful and committed to Herod or the king of Rome. These two groups hate each other. They are politically at odds with each other. Sound familiar? But how many know the enemy of your enemy can suddenly become your friend? Because there's one thing that threatens them, each group, more than the other. And his name is Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that the person of Jesus is a threat to an esta the establishment of this world. The person and being about that Jesus life will threaten what is normal in this culture. And I think we have given the, the world a watered down gospel. The church has become a watered down church, a neutered church, because when we are really about that Jesus life, we will stand at odds with what culture says is regular, normal, right, true. And so here, they try to trap Jesus. And I could use this text to just tell you to pay your taxes, but I think you get that. In Romans, I think chapter 12, Paul actually affirms this and tells us, yes, you should respect your governing authorities. So I want to challenge you guys to pay your taxes. Uh, I want to encourage you. Jesus says this. He actually throws an image up and he says, bring me a denarius. So let me, let me throw, show you the denarius real quick. So when he says this, bring me a denarius, when they said, should we pay to Caesar the taxes? Do we owe them? Jesus would have recognized that the Pharisees, they hated the taxes of this day. Because again, Rome is occupying them, oppressing them, taking advantage of them. But they get together, the, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and they ask a question which they think is the perfect question. Because they think there is no way Jesus can get out of this one. If he says yes, you should pay your taxes, then all the Jewish people will be in an upheaval, and uproar, because they see Jesus as the Messiah come to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. But if he says no, the Herodians are there to then go back and say he's a revolutionary, he's trying to overthrow our government, we, we need to arrest him and kill him. So they think we got him. And this image, Jesus sets them, bring me a denarius, which a denarius was the equivalent to one day's pay. And, and we all get paid a lot of different things in here. But I would just equate it to the next image, which is this. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. But y'all know more money, more problems. So this is, I would say this is the equivalent for us. But go back to the denarius. And this, is, this image is Caesar. Now, the Jewish leaders, they would have hated this because they would have seen that this was idolatry. 
that Caesar had put his face on a coin. And, and, and so they think we've got the perfect question to trap Jesus. But Jesus, as always, he responds in such a way that they marvel at him. So I'm here to tell you that this world wants to trap us. This world wants to, to get us, wants to put us in a position of vulnerability. This, this world and the enemy wants to put us opposed to one another. But I want to tell you today that the reality is they are going to talk. They're going to talk about you. But the question is, what will they have to say about you? See, I want to go back. And I don't know if you were paying attention when I read it, but after Jesus gives this amazing, or before Jesus gives this amazing response to their question, they say four things and they declare four things about Jesus. You see, when you are committed wholeheartedly to Jesus, when you are about that Jesus life, they will have to say some things about you. And the first thing that they will have to say about you is your true. That's what they say about Jesus. They say, teacher, we know that you're true. We know that you're true. I, I came across some research this week, and this recent research study found that 80% of our thoughts each day are negative. Did you hear me? 80% of your thoughts, my thoughts, each day are negative based on this recent study. You see, our world and our culture wants us to not focus on what is true, but what is wrong, what is negative, what is pessimistic. All these negative things to influence us, to tear us down. The enemy is wreaking havoc on this world. But the Pharisees, the Herodians, they go to Jesus, they say, teacher, we know that you're true. You see, when you're about that Jesus life, they may say some things about you. They may talk about you. But at the end of the day, if you are truly about that life, they'll have to say you're true. You walk true. What does true look like? It means focusing. Somebody like, well, okay, like be true. What does that mean? It means we focus on what is true, what is right. Philippians 4.8 tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever things are true, everybody say true, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, being true starts right here. It starts in your mind. The battle starts in your mind. And God wanted to challenge us today that we would decide to be true. And that means we think true things. And it starts with thinking true things about ourselves and who we are as God's people, as God's children. My child, I have a seven-year-old, and Chrissy and I have to discipline him from time to time. And when we discipline him, he always responds with, I'm so stupid. 
Every time we discipline, you're not supposed to do that. That's a bad choice. He'll be like, oh, I'm so stupid. And my wife, who's great about this, she always stops him. And she says, you don't talk that way about my Kai. You don't talk that way about my Kai. You don't talk that way about my child. You are not stupid. And I think looking at this research, I'm recognizing today that we are talking about ourselves in a way that our father would never talk about us. We are thinking thoughts about our own selves that God is not speaking over us. And so if you are going to be true, you have to start with believing truth about yourself. And the truth is this, you are redeemed, you are covered, you are sanctified, you are forgiven, and you have a purpose and a call on this life, in this world. You are true. If you're about that Jesus life, they're going to talk. And they talk, man. How many know they talk? But they'll have to say, you know what, I can say a lot of things about him or her. But they're true. They're true to their convictions. They're true to what they believe God has called them to. The second thing that they'll have to say is, you don't care about man's opinion. Why would they have said this to Jesus? You know, I was, I was researching and reading. I was really wrestling like, man, why would they say, you don't care about man's opinion? Because he was never worried about people talking about him. He wasn't worried about what people said. In fact, he pushed the elites away. He pushed the religious elites away. Jesus, just the day before this, had walked into the temple and flipped the tables. And driven out the money changers and those that were selling inappropriately and taking advantage of the people. Why? Because he didn't care what man said. He came to declare the truth. And I think that in this day, we care more about what people think often than what God thinks. We are obsessed with painting a perfect picture and presenting ourselves as these plastic, perfect people, when in fact, the opposite is usually the case. I found that as a, your pastor, as a preacher of God's word, that people identify far more with my failures than my victories. People identify far more with when I mess up and fall down and trip then when I'm standing on the mountain saying, look at all the great things I did. Why? Because it's real. But the temptation for me is to get up here and present to you like I'm perfect. That I don't struggle. That I don't have sin. That my marriage isn't at times challenging. That sometimes Christy and I, don't, you know, we don't ever argue. No. That's the temptation to present that. Why? Because I want people to think I got it all together. 
that I, I got this life thing on lock. But the truth of the matter is this. We must care more about what God thinks, what God says, what God is speaking, than what any man would say. And that may mean that you have to do things that man would say are crazy. You have to step out into places and circumstances and, and environments that, that people would say, why would you go there? Even the fact that you give your money to God, people will say, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You earned that. You got that. You did that. But we don't live for man's opinion. We live for God's purposes. And he has more for you than I think you even see for yourself. But we have to decide to be about that Jesus life or not. I don't want people to say, oh, he's got it all together. I want people to say, he's imperfect, but he points people to the Savior. You see, it's not about me being perfect. It's about me standing up here and saying to you, I can't do it on my own. That's why I need Jesus. I'm messed up just like every one of you. Listen, in this church, we are not about behavior modification. So often we get caught up in, in, in getting people to look a certain way. We are about heart transformation. We let God change people's behaviors, but he starts with their heart. Martin Luther, the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the doors of Castle Church. Which if you didn't know, Martin Luther King Jr. actually changed his name because of how much he loved Martin Luther. But in his biography, Martin Luther, he noted that he would spend up to six hours at a time in confession. Six hours at a time in confession. Now, I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, this dude must have been jacked up. That was my original thought. Six hours at a time in confession? Like, I could only think of like a, you know, a few sins or maybe six minutes, but... Six hours? This dude has some, some mess in his life. Then I started to realize, like, do you think Martin Luther really had more than me? you think Martin Luther really had more than you? Or do you think Martin Luther was just so committed to being the man that God, God had called him to be that he didn't care how much he had to pour out his heart? He didn't care how much people might have judged him for how long he spent confessing the failures and the sins of his life. And I think today we have maintained this facade, this perfect picture, and social media has only exacerbated it. And I wanted to challenge you that you would stop worrying about what man thinks, man says, man's perspective, and live for God's call. I've had to wrestle with this as a pastor, my wife and I. Because man, man has a lot of opinions. They want to put their opinions on you and your leadership, on you and your call, on you and your life. And so I've had to decide I must be true to him and not worry about what they say. They will have to say if you're about that Jesus life, that you don't see based on appearances. This is what they said about Jesus. He said, you don't see based on appearances. 
Jesus has let the children come into him just a few chapters earlier. And, and we don't recognize the power of this because uh, the, the thousands are gathering around Jesus and they want to hear him teach. And the children are trying to come to Jesus and the disciples are like, what are you doing? Go away. And Jesus is like, no, let them come to me. Let them come to me. And we don't understand this in our culture because we value children to the utmost. In fact, to a fault. And what I mean is we let our children dictate the direction of our families. And I'm here to tell you, little Johnny is eight. You ask him if he wants to go to church, he's going to choose Fortnite. Okay? But you don't ask him, you tell him. I don't let my children decide if they go to church. I tell them, no, you're going to church because the truth of God is there and it's going to soak into your spirit. Your children don't know what's best for them. You do. Lead your family, church. They'd eat candy every meal if you let them. That tells you all you need to know about letting children make their own decisions. But Jesus says, let the children come to me. Why? Because in this culture, they didn't value children. We overvalue children, I would say. To a fault, we should value them. But in this culture, they didn't value children. Why? Because 50% of children would die before the age of 13. And so they kept them at a distance, and even parents would not allow themselves to be emotionally attached because there was a 50% chance their child was going to die anyways. And so children were undervalued in this culture, and Jesus says, no, let them come to me. Jesus spends his time with the tax collectors. The tax collectors who were in opposition to the Jewish people, they were sellouts. They took advantage of the people and sold out to Rome. Jesus spent his time with prostitutes. You want to know the greatest accusation against Jesus by the religious people? Do you know what the greatest accusation against Jesus was? They said, you are a friend of sinners. That was their greatest accusation. May the same be said about us, church. For too long, we have been a place as the church that says, oh, you got to look a certain way, act a certain way, and then you can belong. No, you don't have to look a certain way to belong here. God wants you here just as you are. He loves you on your worst day as much as he loves you on your best day. He doesn't see the way we see, and yet we are caught up in appearances. A few years back, I was a young pastor, and I went to a conference, and I got an opportunity to connect with a well-known pastor. And I was in a green room, and I got to talk to him. And if I said his name, some of you would, many of you would know who he was. But I was, I had this opportunity, I went up to him, and I started talking with him, and I was super excited because he had, you know, spoke a lot into my life from a distance. He didn't know it. Uh, but, but I was just wanted to tell him a little bit about, like, our church that had just launched. And it was super disheartening because the whole time I was trying to talk to him, he was looking over my shoulder and waving at people and, oh, hey, I'll catch up with you in a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, keep going. Keep, oh, what's up, what's up? The entire time I spoke with him, he was distracted. Psychologist Matthew Killingsworth found that the average person spends 46.9% of their time thinking about something other than what they're doing in the present moment. You know what that means? Half of you in this room aren't even paying attention to anything I'm saying. <laughs> right now you're thinking, I can't wait for in and out 
I wonder if bacon and butter has outdoor dining. Half of you are thinking about the coffee you're going to go. Like, you're not even here with me. Why? Because you're thinking something else. 46.9%. And you know what I saw with this pastor? I saw he wasn't present. And I wasn't even, my feelings weren't even hurt. I was actually just sad for him. Because I thought he, if he does this to me, he probably does this to other people. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know anything about me, my background, nothing. But he was too focused on the other people and the next conversation and who else he could connect with. And there was a green room with some very well-known people in there. And I think so often we get caught up in seeing based on appearances and we overlook the opportunities. And here's what I want to say to you. Every day, God will bring people along your path. And if we see based on appearances only, we will miss opportunities to prophetically speak life into their lives. But if we say, God, let me see with your eyes. Let me see the way you see. Let me love people the way you love them. I believe we will walk differently. We will look differently. Our eyes will see in a spiritual way and we'll be able to speak over people what they need. You see, every day you have opportunities to speak life into people. But we're too caught up in appearances or our own insecurity. And we miss the opportunities that God is bringing along our path. You see, they will have to say you don't see based on appearances if you are about that Jesus life. May we be characterized by what Jesus was characterized by, that he was a friend of sinners. I love to say, man, this church is full of sinners, and I'm one of them. For so long, the church, we used to talk about, we got to go reach the sinners. We got to touch the sinners. I'm like, that's all of us. There's sinners out there. No, there's a bunch of sinners in here. Just look around. There's some, there's a, some sin in here. But we don't see based on appearances because God doesn't see based on appearances. You know what Jesus saw when he looked at the prostitute and the child and, and, and the uneducated fishermen who became his disciples and the tax collectors? You know what he saw? He didn't see what man saw. He saw the purpose and the destiny that could be. And that's what God is speaking over us today. Some of you are so focused on your current circumstance, your current appearance, and God wanted to say, I don't see like you see. What I see is destiny. What I see is opportunity. What I see is something building in your life. And he wanted to speak that over us. And he wants you to speak it over other people. So that's why Chrissy and I, over our children, we don't say, oh, yeah, you are stupid. We say, no, you are a child of God. You have a call. You have a purpose on your life. Finally, four things that they'll have to say when you're about that Jesus life is you teach the way of God. This is what they said to Jesus. They said, you teach the way of God. You teach the way of God. You're a teacher. I came across another study this week, and it found that there was one critical indicator of well-being for children. A critical indicator of well-being for children. And I, I started to read this. I'm like, oh, it's probably like 
how loving the parents are, how much they've provided for the children. It's probably, you know, the, the home safety environment. Do they feel safe? Like all these things. And, and, and what it found was that one of the most critical indicators of a child's well-being was whether they knew their family history or not. And I was blown away. What? Whether they know their family history or not, what does that have to do with anything? You see, legacy, history is a powerful thing. Because when we know our history, we decide. When we know our legacy, we decide. Am I going to continue that? Or am I going to change that? Am I going to continue the history and the legacy of good? Or am I going to break and change the legacy of bad? Am I going to break the legacy of abuse? Am I going to break the uh, legacy of addiction? Am I going to break the legacy of negativity? Am I going to break that legacy? Or am I going to continue the legacy that I'm a continuance of? That as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. You see, we are characterized by what we teach, by what we pass on. Do you realize how important it is what you pass on? And I want to ask you, what are you passing on? What are you passing on? Not just to your family, not just to your children, but to your friends, to your coworkers, to the people that you come in contact with every day. You teach the way of God. You see, the way of God is the Word of God. And the truth of God is something you talk about. It's something you teach. It's something you live. Why? Because the truth of God and the Word of God is what sets people free. It's not anything self-help can do. It's not anything that, that a good business mind can do or entrepreneurship mindset can do. Those are all good things. But the only thing that matters in eternity that's passed on is the way of God, which is found in the Word of God because the truth of God is what transforms and determines destinies. So my wife and I, these last few months, we started reading the Jesus Calling devotion to our children at night. And they come to church with us, and I love Project Kids because my kids, every Sunday they come home and they learn something. But it's interesting because we started reading this Jesus Calling devotional. I was like, yo, Chrissy, they're not going to understand this. This is above their pay grade. Like, I get it. But I have a master's in theology. They're not going to get it. And some of you feel that way about yourselves. Like, I can't read the word of God. Like, I don't get it. You know what's crazy? I've watched as they've continued to ask questions. And every night we, we end with this devotion and we ask them questions. And I've watched as the light bulbs have started to turn on. And they begin to recognize the truth of the word of God and what God speaks over them. And I have determined and decided with my wife 
in our house that we will pass on the way of God. We will pass on the word of God. I don't care. They can say all they want about me. And they're going to say some things because they will talk. But at the end of the day, you know what they're going to have to say? They're going to have to say that he's taught the way of God to his children. They're going to have to say that he's true to his wife. He's true to his convictions. He's true to his heart. He's true to his God. He's true to the Jesus life that he declares every single Sunday. You see, they're going to talk. The question is, what are they going to say? What will they say about you? And so today, I came to challenge us. Because I think a lot of us in this room have not been about that Jesus life. He's been a secondary, auxiliary, side thing, something we do on Sundays. He's a nice little genie. We rub that bottle, uh, Christina Aguilera style, every once in a while. When we think we need something, when we're going through a struggle, then we're, oh yeah, God, 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 I need you real quick. ATM, God in the sky, hook me up. I need a withdrawal. But today, God wanted you to determine and decide that you will be about that Jesus life. That no longer will it be secondary, side, no longer will it be this, this thing I do on Sundays, but I'm going to be about that life. Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Why? You see, some of you don't even recognize it's not even just for you. And let me tell you, it's a good thing for you because a life with Jesus is the best life, it says. Jesus said, I came to give them life, life to the fullest, life more abundantly. It's the best life. But how many of you know it's not just about you, it's also about what you pass on to those after you? Because we are determining destinies and legacies in this place right now. And I have decided in my life and with my wife that I want to leave a legacy. And I want it to be one of faith. This life is too short. This week, one of our friends lost a loved one, a husband, a father, 42 years old, just stopped breathing. I'm 39. And it got me thinking, this life is so fragile. COVID-19 has got me thinking, this life is so fragile. We're here, we don't know how long for. And some of us have been playing games with God. And I'm here to tell you today, it's time for the games to end. It's time for us to get real. Are we going to be about that Jesus life or not? Because it's not just about you and your destiny and your eternity. It's about those coming after you and the legacy that you're creating in this place right now. I didn't come to play games today. I came to challenge you because I'm more convicted in my spirit right now than ever that the world needs the church to be all in. The world doesn't need a one foot in, a, a, a neuter church any longer. The world needs this church. It starts here because you're, you're, this is our church. Needs us all in. So you're going to be about that Jesus life or not? It's your choice. 
I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to make you. But I want to tell you, if you make that choice, you won't regret it. Because it's for you and it's for those coming after you. It's for you and it's for your coworkers. It's for you and it's for your friends. It's for you and it's for that person that you're going to run into on Monday and you're going to go, God, give me eyes to see. And you're going to speak the very word of life that they needed to receive in that moment. And before you know it, they're living a life for Jesus when they were running from Jesus. You see, there's one. And Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. And there are some ones in this place, I think. And Jesus has been chasing you, pursuing you, and now's your moment to come back to the flock. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? You know, this, this message was so heavy on my heart this week. I was praying for you all week. I actually had trouble sleeping. I never have trouble sleeping. Some of you are like me, man. Your head hits the pillow and you're out in five seconds. That's me. But not this week. Kept waking up and God kept burdening me with this message and with the hearts of the people that were going to be here. And I think there's someone in this room that you've been running from God. You've been playing games with God. You've been half in, half out. You've been straddling the line. You, you've been about Jesus on Sundays, but about a whole lot of other things Monday through Saturday. And today you are determining in your heart that you are all in. You're going to be about that Jesus life from this day forward. Maybe you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're rededicating yourself in this place today. I'm going to count to three. I want you to lift your hand. If you're online and that's you, I want you to respond. One, two, three. Put your hand up. Come on. Go ahead. Yes, 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 yes. I'm calling them out. Yes, yes. Hands going up around the room. Come on, church. Give God some praise. You can put them down. Online, I know some of you responded. So pray this prayer with me. Everybody in this room, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm done playing games with you. I'm all in. I'm about that Jesus life. Forgive me of my sins, of my past, of my mistakes. I'm nothing without you. And today, I surrender wholeheartedly. I'm done being one foot in. Today, I'm all in. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for dying for me. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise in this place. So many people that responded. How many of you know the Holy Spirit brings the word we need to hear exactly when we need to hear it? We've had this Mark series planned for years. And this text today was for you in this moment. He knew you were going to be here on this day to hear this word to challenge you. So can we stand to our feet and let's sing one last time as a declaration that we are about that Jesus life. We're about it. Come on, lift your voices with us, church. Let's worship. Let this be our declaration. Come on. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give 
to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.